Warrior Woman, welcome back to the Warrior School podcast. This is episode 123. It's so lovely to have you back. I feel very grateful to be in your ears today, but it's not just going to be me. I have a guest for you. Today, my guest is author and nutrition coach Kate Deering. Kate and I actually connected quite recently. I've been following her work for quite a while now. She's very much a leader in the metabolic space. But uh, we have this small group chat, which was created by Kitty. And it comprises of Kitty, Libby, Leela, Kate, and myself. Uh, And we chat pretty much almost on a daily basis. We talk about our business, about our training, just about anything really. And it's such a really cool space, uh, an empowering space. And I'm so inspired by all of these women, what they're doing uh, with their life, in their business uh, and their mission, you know, their mission that they're on with their work to help people and help women be healthy. Uh, And so we connected and I asked her if she would love to come on the podcast. And I wanted to really put her in the hot seat to talk about hormones and the importance of progesterone. But we actually kicked off the podcast talking about myself and my allergies. Uh, On the day that we recorded it, I had terrible allergies. I think I had a bunch of tissues and my eyes were watering, my nose was running. (laughs) So I said to her, you know, if I am rubbing my eyes or blowing my nose or I have tissue stuck up my nose, please just continue on. But I have terrible allergies. And I thought, oh, this would be such a cool time to talk to her about allergies. I've done a little bit of reading and research around allergies. I knew it had a bit to do with the gut and the immune system and histamine. So we kick it off talking about myself and my allergies. And then I also had a question for her around how she supports her clients who live in the Northern Hemisphere. And I really wanted to dig into this conversation about vitamin D supplementation. And it's a super controversial topic in the metabolic space. And so we actually talk a bit about vitamin D, vitamin D supplementation, and how she supports uh, those people that live in the north that don't have as much daylight exposure. Then we ended our conversation talking about hormones and the hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and we touch on progesterone the importance of progesterone its role and how we can uh, support progesterone production as we uh, enter into our 40s and 50s I will have her back on the podcast to do another episode a full-on episode all around hormones perimenopause menopause and progesterone we kind of just got a little bit sidetracked at the start uh, and then we both had to go because we had calls but you know I, I love Kate I love her work and I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Kate Deering and myself on allergies vitamin d and the importance of progesterone welcome to the warrior school podcast the podcast for women who train I believe following a plan that works with your body and has a timeline of years is the future of women's training. I also believe women can train hard. We just need to learn how to do it in a respectful way. So Warrior, this is your go-to show for practical information on training, nutrition, hormones, and performance. Myself and tons of experts will help you create a training strategy that works with your body and gets results. I am your teacher, Amy Bow, coach, dietitian, and the creator of Warrior School. Okay, Warrior Woman, let's do this. 
There we go. That's green light. Go. <laughs> Kate, welcome to the Warrior School podcast. Amy, such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I do want to talk about hormones, but I actually, I just want to throw a hard ride at you, like right at the start of the podcast. And I want to ask you something. So I woke up this morning and I get terrible allergies. So if I like wipe my eyes through the podcast or I have my tissue and I just wanted to know, do you know much about allergies and like why I get them and struggle a lot with them? Because I don't know what to do. It could be. I mean, a lot of it's just a histamine issue. So is it seasonal or is it all the time? No, it's seasonal, like around now. And it's, it's worse here in the Northern hemisphere than it was in Australia. So I don't, and this kind of leads me into the second hard right that I wanted to ask you about before we get into hormones around how you support your women in the Northern hemisphere that don't see a lot of sunshine, but so it's what I did get them in Australia, uh, but not as bad as here. And it gets really bad. What is it? Is it sneezing, congestion, eyes watering? All of it. Triple threat, Kate. (laughs) So, so my thoughts are histamine, right? Because, and it can be coming from GI, right? Because obviously everything enters our system is either going through our lungs or our stomach and into our intestine area. So it could be, again, we can remove the thing that may be creating the allergy. So if there's something in the air, so have, you know, having a good air purifier, um, those things can help to remove the allergen. I mean, obviously there's something going on. Do you, I mean, I don't know if you have your windows open or what the situation is. Obviously some people have seasonal allergies because of pollen and so forth. Um, but if it's having some sort of histamine, does something like Benadryl help you, an antihistamine? Uh, I don't know. I have, haven't taken that, I think in a very long time. Yeah. Okay. So it, it might be worthy just to see on yourself taking something like cyproheptadine or Benadryl, just to see if that alleviates some of the issues. If it does, then we know it, it's a histamine issue because both of those are antihistamine. And so if that's the case, then it's like, all right, well, what is there an over... Is there too much histamine going into your system? Is are you having an issue breaking down histamine? So those would be so things that are going to create more of a histamine issue is anything that's going to irritate the GI system. So it could be worthy of like looking at the starches in your diet. Maybe that could be doing it. Maybe not having heavy dinners in the evening. Does it happen all day long, or does it happen more than in one time of the day? Okay. So a big part of it, I think is like the allergen that's outside. So like the cotton wood. And so if I take Hank for a walk in the morning, I will get back and it will be like worse after I come from outside. Uh, But, and then it happens intermittently, like over the day, there'll be parts of the day that I'm really good. And then other parts where (laughs) I feel like absolute crap. Um, yeah. So that's interesting if it's kind of intermittent, right? So then it's like, okay, then we need to pay attention to what's going on in the day where I feel like I'm having more of a reaction. Is it because there's stress going on? Right. Cause again, I always like to look at the stress factor because that's always going to affect the GI. And then when the GI gets affected, everything else gets affected. So it comes, is it stress higher? Is it coming when after a heavy workout? Or have you, do you need to eat something, right? Does sugar help alleviate it? Because sugar can help bring down histamine pretty quickly. Like sugar itself, like white sugar, juices, so forth. So you're like, okay, if I'm having it, do I ingest some of these things? Does that have a response to it? The other component is the enzyme that breaks down histamine, the DAO enzyme, um, which is copper dependent. Um, I know we just, we just actually had a conversation about copper. So <laughs> that means, all right, do you need additional copper? Are we eating beef liver all the time? Are we getting some oysters? All those foods that kind of work together. Um, sometimes boron selenium are needed for copper. So I don't know what kind of, and I'm, and I'm assuming that you might be doing all those things, but those kind of things would be where I would look. Um, obviously, I mean, if, you are in an area that has a lot of particles in the air, it can bother you. I mean, right. I I think that's always like, right. People are like, I'm doing a metabolic diet and I work 80 hours a week and I don't sleep. I mean, or whatever. And I'm just going, but I don't know why I don't feel good. I'm doing that. I'm like, yeah, 
it's not a superpower. I mean, <laughs> we still have to balance everything. If you still go out in the world and there's bombs going off, you know, and you're, you're eating a metabolically supportive diet, you still could get hit. I mean, it's just kind of like you, we have to be aware of our surroundings. And so if there are more air particles, you know, and, and again, I don't know if everyone's having that experience, but I always look at your GI. So I would try and address that first and kind of just test yourself, right? And see if just simple sugars kind of help alleviate that at all, or just kind of chart, when, when is this happening to me? To kind of get more understanding. Okay, so pay more attention to when they get worse and yep. see if uh, like a Benadryl or an antihistamine uh, alleviates just yep. to see if it's a histamine issue. Yep. Uh, pay a little bit more attention to my gut and then also see if like sugar actually helps um, yep. alleviate. Yep. Okay. And then make sure you're eating those foods that are high in copper because that is a, the AO is an enzyme, it's an enzyme dependent on copper. So if people aren't having enough copper in their diet, then that enzyme might not be available. And then you're not breaking down histamine and you're going to get more of that allergen response. Yes. Okay. I like this because I have my, I have oysters, fresh oysters, and then I also have oyster supplement, but I haven't had beef liver for a while. And so, and I've ran out of my liver supplement. So I'm wondering if I then bring that back in that it may reduce the severity of yeah. this situation. <laughs> Yeah, because the, the oysters will give you a little bit of copper, but you know, we have a ton of zinc in there. And so sometimes, I mean, zinc can actually facilitate copper absorption as long as it's not too much. So if there's too much zinc at one time, it's going to inhibit the copper absorption. So, but, but because oysters are such a high zinc food, you might be getting just a little bit of copper. You might just need more. So it might be worth, you know, and, and what I find is when people really start to eat this way, all their metabolic needs go up. And so they have to start really eating those foods or we start seeing deficiencies in them. And so when, when you, there's always a responsibility to increasing your metabolism, which that means you got to have those high nutrient rich foods or because your body's using everything so much faster now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I have a few little experiments that I'm going to do. I'll let you know how my yeah. allergies go. Yeah. Yeah. Please do. Yeah. And then the second thing I wanted to chat about was, and I know that we've chatted a little bit in, so we have like a group chat, which has Kate and myself and Kitty and Libby and Leela. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about like vitamin D and supplementation. Anyway, I would love to know how you support the women that you work with or just people in general in the Northern hemisphere. So I moved here like five and a half years ago and I struggle, Kate, like I, we've just come out of about seven months of gray and darkness. And so yeah. it, on a nervous system level, yeah, I, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm, yeah. A, I'm a little bit of a mess actually, Totally, very exhausted. And so I would love just to pick your brain a little bit about how yeah. do you support someone like me that has to live in seven months of gray? <laughs> Yeah. I tell them to move. Yeah. And I, I'm going to, I would never live here for the rest of my life. Yeah. No, it is challenging. I've definitely worked for some people in Canada and they get like three or four months of sun. And so they struggle, right? Cause you can only get vitamin D in those sun times. And so there's seven or eight months where you're not getting any. And so the, most people are deficient. And so obviously, and so even if the, in the summer, if they're out every single day and they're getting nice high doses of D, maybe they could get enough to support them through the winter months because everyone's D goes down in the winter, right? I mean, even I live in San Diego, my D will go down in the winter and I have sun 24 seven, but the, the wintertime sun is not enough. I, I could stay out all day long and I'm going to barely get any D. It needs to be that summer exposure when the sun is closer. So for, and I monitor mine and I always go down in, in there in the uh, winter time. So I will supplement. I'm not against supplementing D. Um, I think you need to know your D levels before you do that. If you can't afford that test, then I would say try a low dose supplemental D and see how it makes you feel. Um, to me, I have seen people literally rec recover from depression with a good amount of D. Now, 
the caveat is that D is dependent on a lot of other nutrients. So you want to make sure you get all of those in too, because again, we, if we give a, a nutrient in isolation, it's usually going to throw off other nutrients. And so D is kind of has this marriage with vitamin A. And we, so we want to make sure we have ad, adequate vitamin A in our diet. So that means whole milk, liver, yay, everybody loves that word. Um, <laughs> egg yolks, right? They all need to be present in the diet if you're going to supplement D. Of course, you can get D in some foods like, you know, milk, liver. Um, but I find it's just, it's not enough, to be honest with you. Like a lot of people really need to add something else into their diet. And so um, anywhere from two to 5,000 units is what I kind of see depending on, but if you, you check it and it's like 10 and you feel like garbage, yeah, you could probably do a higher dose for a little bit of time. There are other nutrients like besides A. So boron is one. Um, you can see some people just supplement with boron and that improves their vitamin D status. Um, magnesium is another one because it's kind of there to help the D convert. Um, I'm under the belief that, uh, obviously vitamin D has a lot of different transitions. It has uh, the vitamin D that you take and then it has the calcidiol and uh, that is referred to as your store D. And then it has the, the calcitriol, which is your active D and um, active D is the one kind of like metabolizes really quickly. And everyone thinks that's the active one that does all the active stuff. Um, I'm not under that belief. There's a lot of data that essentially says that the store D, the calcidiol is the one that actually does all the good stuff and that the calcitriol is the one that kind of does the bad stuff. So I kind of look at it like this progesterone cortisol conversion and progesterone or cortisol basically comes from progesterone, right? It converts under stress, uh, cortisol will rise and progesterone will drop. Same thing happens with D. Under stress, your active D will rise and your stored D will lower. Um, so Sometimes it, you can check D and it can be low, but if you're not under stress, that's okay. People won't have symptoms, right? So we can see that and their actually active D will be quite low too. So in any of the camps that talk about vitamin D, um, no, everyone agrees that having the active D high is bad. And we all know that that, that actually, it happens in, under inflammation. So nobody wants high active D. Um, but you can have low D and um, low stored D and low active D, and you'll probably feel pretty good. You have low D and high active D, you're probably going to feel pretty crappy. And so we know that you can also take supplemental D and it will lower the active D. Um, so in that sense, we're like, well, if that's going to lower that inflammatory D and help increase the stored D, to me, it makes sense to take it as long as all the other cofactors are there. Again, some people also, let me just give a caveat because there are different Ds out there. There's some that are in MCT oil. There are some that are in olive oil. There are some that are in our capsule or caplet or any of those. So some people just respond badly to the D or the additives in the D. So we have to be aware of that because I think I've, I've definitely worked with people. They're like, D makes me feel like shit. I'm sorry. Hope we can say that on this podcast. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so they actually respond poorly to the additives in the D and then they think it's the D. Like every time I take D, I feel like garbage. Um, so then usually we can try a different one. So some people that respond poorly to the MCT oil, I've used the olive oil uh, D3 and they've responded much better to that. And so, and some people have to like incrementally add it. Um, I actually had a client that he could not move his D level and so we tried a lot of different caveats. We actually tried the spurtle lamp. We tried him going outside. And so we finally got to a point where we had to give him high dose magnesium for him to be able to tolerate it. And then he was tolerating it just fine. So because yes, D conversions are so dependent on magnesium. If you're really, really low in mag magnesium and try to take D, you might have a problem. So it's very important to kind of assess your, your stress, your life. And because most people are probably low in magnesium because you burn it off under stress. So there's a lot of little things to think about before supplementation. But overall, I don't particularly think it's um, dangerous at a two to 5,000 level. And, and you just kind of have to kind of pay attention. Of course, sun's always better. But if something, if it is helping you, um, I, I think that we'll kind of take note of that. And that's where we want to go with it. 
Yeah, super interesting because I haven't taken it for years, you know, when I first, you know, came into the metabolic space and you had a few of the camps that were saying, you know, do not supplement with vitamin D. Uh, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed hearing your perspective on it. And I was just really curious around what do you do that with people that literally don't see the sun for a good six to seven months uh, of the, of the year. And, you know, have you seen a benefit in them actually taking supplemental vitamin D as well as working on, you know, their stress management and, you know, you know, their food and, and getting those other key um, nutrients that we have just spoken about. Uh, I'm going to try it. Yeah. I mean, antidotally, I definitely hear it. Like I've heard people taking 10,000 IUs, you know, a couple times a week and just pulled them right out of depression. So when you hear stories like that, you do want to wonder, okay, why is that working? Right. Is it the D right? There's some theories that maybe it's, you know, it's suppressing their um, uh, immune system and that's why they feel good. So there's a lot of different theories, but when you actually look at the mechanism of what is happening and you see that actually taking supplemental D does lower the active calcitriol, well, then you have to wonder, well, okay, well, that would be a good thing. And so again, that's my perspective and that's where I see the data. And anecdotally speaking, because I do work with a lot of people, I have have seen it certainly improve their health as they're going through. Um, and I also have seen, like I said, people having some issues taking it. And then we have to always question why. Is it the D or is it their system that can't manage it, can't convert it? Is, it in the, is, there, is there something in the D supplement that maybe they're reacting to? So we try to unpack all that and see, you know, is there a different route? Um, because again, that's why I always say blanket. There's, there's no yes, everybody should take it or no, nobody should take it, right? Telling nobody that they should take it and they barely see the sun, I don't think is like a very good answer because some people really, really feel horrible and feel so much better when they take it as they work on their health. And if you feel like garbage and you're just trying to wait for the sun to come out <laughs> and you can't afford a lamp, which again, I've also seen lamp doesn't change D on some people, so we have to try to go a different route to see where we can get you to a better place to start working on other things. Yeah. And like when you're talking, there's like layers to it, like you were saying, um, you know, everyone can respond well to it. I mean, everyone can respond differently to it. So some well, some not so well, but then finding out why. So you just said with one of your clients, you had to do high dose magnesium. So when I'm hearing you speak, you know, I think it's really important to find someone that can help lead you through that. Uh, Cause a lot of people here just take it and take it in like, you know, big doses. And now I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying like, is it actually working for you? Uh, and are you getting the, the benefits of it? Like what's happening with your life and your stress and, you know, your food and all your other nutrients, um, and yeah, so I think having someone to lead you through and try and put all the pieces of the puzzle together is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, because there is no one path, there are many different paths. And so you just always want to question if this is working for you, why is it working for you? Let's look at other parts of your life and see why that might be working or why it is not working for you. But should yeah. everyone just take this, right? Because it does have hormone-like properties, right? It, it, so we have to kind of be careful with this supplement. And so what I think we have saw during COVID, it was like D, everyone needs to take D because people that had lower levels of D had higher chances of getting COVID and having adverse reactions. Was that a correlational study? It was, right? There was some correlation there. We can't, we don't know because we didn't do like a randomized control trial on it, but it, it's, it, it's something to at least pay attention to. Now, what happened was everyone's like, I should take 10,000 IUs all the time forever. And I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, you're going to create some problems doing that, especially if your diet is crap and you're eating a vegan diet with no vitamin A or you're not supporting it with enough magnesium and all these other things. And so what comes out of that is all these people like, yeah, I took deep for a long time and I had now I have cal hypercalcemia, right? And I lost bone um, density because I was barely drinking any dairy or all of these other things have happened, started happening. And so the, their, their understanding is D is bad 
because of that experience. And I could understand that, right? That didn't work for them. But is it because necessarily is the D or is it they took too much, the dosage, they took it too long, they didn't have the other supportive nutrients. I think all of those have to take be taken into consideration. So to me, it's not black and white. There's a lot of gray area there. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's a very gray world in the nutrition world. And I think everybody wants to just be like, that's the answer. I need that thing. And that's going to fix me. Right. And again, cool. Like it's cool to experiment. I think we were talking about this. I think it, but you still, if you were like picking certain supplements and again, not against supplements at all, um, but you still need to always address the underlying stuff, your stress, your food, right? Are you sleeping? All of those things need to be the foundation and the backbone of whatever you're doing. And then, yes, if those things aren't working, sure, go and try these supplements and see if they can add something to you, how you're feeling. No problem with that. Yeah, I, you know, and the reason why I brought this up, Kate, was that, you know, over the last five years, I've really developed like a strong strategy, you know, when it comes to winter and the darker months. And I've done everything on a foundational level to really support myself. But then, you know, over the last couple of years, because I haven't been home and got the exposure to the sunshine, uh, what I started to see was, okay, there's something here that I'm like, I'm missing. And I need more than just the foundational stuff that I've worked on. And so then when, yeah, it came up in conversation in our thread and I, yeah, I just, I got super curious about it, read a bit about it. And I thought, oh, I'm going to ask Kate on, on the podcast because maybe that's potentially like what my body needs because I've done all the foundational work and it may need extra support. I, I come from Australia, you know, I was raised in a part of Australia that even in the middle of winter, it was, it's sunny and bright. And so, you know, maybe my body and myself, I just, I feel like I can never get to a hundred percent here. I'm always just riding it around like 70, no matter what I do. And I have such a strong foundation. And so, right. yeah. Yeah. Um, and honestly, thinking about it, it, you know, if you are low vitamin D, the D supplement could help you with your allergies because it is immune supportive. So that could be an interesting puzzle for you and a puzzle piece to add in. Um, you know, you could have a significant shift in, you know, a couple of weeks. Okay. I'm going to test my vitamin D mm -hmm. and then, um, yeah, I'm going to do some experiments on myself. We're not saying do this. I'm just, right. you know, this was all about me basically for the first <laughs> 20 minutes of the podcast, everyone. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> okay. Now we can talk about hormones <laughs> and this, the rest of the podcast will be for you. <laughs> All good information. Yes. Uh, I th important, you know, a lot of women that listen to the podcast, a lot of them live in the Northern hemisphere. Yeah. And what I found through my work is the ones that live in the Northern hemisphere, they take a little longer to heal, to recover. And I honestly believe that it's, I'm, I thought I was going to sneeze. Um, I honestly believe that it's just because of lack of sunshine and brightness. Um, yeah. I, I would yeah. want to, I have had, so I'll just tell you a few, a few anecdotal stories again with sunlight. Um, I had a client who lived in Canada. She moved to Costa Rica and she had really bad kind of like endometriosis and had a lot of issues um, in that area for years and years and years and years and years. Anyways, so she moved to Costa Rica. We did work on the diet and everything. And um, we did check her D when she got there. It was really low. Um, but she went out and got sun because she's in Costa Rica every day, 30 minutes, every day, every day. So in a matter of months, it got up to like 42-ish, I think, up into a much healthier level. And <clears throat> when she got there, she also went to a doctor who wanted her to be on a lot of medications for her, her issues. And so... She didn't do any of the, the medications <laughs> and she went back in and he, of course, she told him I haven't done any of these medications. And he was just like angry at her. Like, I can't believe you didn't do this. Da, da, da. And then when he checked her out, he's like, so your sister gone and literally almost everything had corrected itself. He was just like, well, whatever you're doing, just keep doing that. So diet, I'm sure was part of it, but I'm a true believer. It was totally the sun bringing her D up. Um, she did not take supplemental D. She did move to Costa Rica, which is probably, you know, probably better for your system. Um, not everybody can do that. And so, but it, it like, I was like, actually like, we were all like, like she, you know, she was just like, 
it, it, they, they went away, right? All amazed. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. And then I also have a client who's uh, lives in the UK. So they deal with the same things as you guys, like barely any son and has a son that um, got Crohn's disease. And so, <clears throat> which is an intestinal issue, a lot of inflammation and has an issue with eating a lot of different foods, even though she puts them on better foods, but they went to Dubai, had a week of pure sun and he could tolerate every food <laughs> over there. And she just thinks he needed all that sun. It's so important. And again, don't want people to feel like I'm never going to get better because I don't have a son. So that's why we have to try other things and see if they can be supportive to you and not just put them in the bad camp. Um, but um, yeah, so super, super important. So when you do have sun, right, go out and get some exposure. And of course, if you haven't had sun for seven months, do not get eight hours in one day, like at 10 minutes right? Slow and steady wins the race. So the more, a little bit more exposure every single day to build up that base, right? Over sun exposure is not good either, right? The dose makes the poison. <laughs> I love that um, line, slow and steady wins the race. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. With everything. In With our everything. Yeah. I know. We want it all to be quick, but it doesn't work that way, right? It is slow and steady, appreciate where you're at, do the best you can, and then keep kind of plugging along. But it's it's not a, take this and everything's going to be fixed in two weeks. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those case studies. Yeah. Uh, Super cool. Mm -hmm. Should we talk about hormones? Sure. Yeah. Well, D is kind of like a hormone. It is a hormone. So that we kind of was, we're right there with it. Okay. One of the main reasons that I really wanted to get you on was to talk a lot about progesterone and perimenopause and menopause. And I see that you're actually doing a summit. uh, Yeah. June 21st. Uh, Yeah. There's a, the menopausal shift summit. Um, It's actually already recorded. So I think they're just putting them out there, but it is 40, I think doctors and people that probably deal with women that are perimenopause or menopausal. Um, So 40 experts, I think it's free. Um, there's a link. If you go to my site in my, my bio, you can just go in and register for free. So I think that would be pretty interesting. That's super cool. Okay. And it's also, I'll post it in the show notes. And then I saw that you posted it the other day, um, on your page. Yeah. So I would highly recommend if you're, you know, even in your thirties, um, you know, I'm, I'm of a big belief and maybe we can riff on this a bit, Kate, around, you know, preparing ourselves for perimenopause and menopause, like in, you know, in our twenties and our thirties. And, you know, have you seen a better transition into perimenopause and menopause if we can build a stronger foundation in our twenties and our thirties? Well, I haven't actually worked with anyone from 20 to menopause. (laughs) So they didn't stay with you for the whole time. Right. I mean, (laughs) Um, it's funny because I, when I first started doing this work, most of the people I worked with were in their forties and fifties and sixties. And now I do get women in their twenties and thirties. And I'm sure it has a lot to do with social media, but I just feel like they're having issues earlier on now. I think, you know, so much more extreme that I remember growing up. Of course, the conversation when I was growing up, like nobody understood their period. There was no social media. So we, you didn't really understand the physiology behind it, which I feel is very sad. I feel like this should be taught to every single woman. Like, what do these mean? What is your ovulation? You know, what does all of this mean? So you can better understand because it's such a vital messenger, like uh, of what your health should be. And nobody understood any, like if I asked my mother, she would have no clue about any of these things. So uh, and as I started to learn it all, I'm like, wow, this would have certainly been really useful as I was growing up. And so I could have a better understanding of what all this meant to me and my health. Because um, I, when I was in college, I lost my period for, I think, six months because I was under eating and over exercising and just thought, cool, I don't have a period. This is awesome. And <laughs> right, didn't really understand what that was probably doing to me and what I was missing from not ovulating because I wasn't ovulating because I wouldn't have no bleed. But it, it, it's so fascinating. So to try to kind of answer that. Yeah. I mean, anytime you're in a healthier place, you're going to have an easier transition. And because to me, menopause, certainly, you know, it's a time when, um, your ovaries, although we don't want to say that they, they don't have eggs because they still do have eggs, but they're just not able to ovulate at that point. And whether it's something with the brain transition, you know, for the pituitary gland, I mean, 
it seems because I like to read a lot of different books, whether it's from the medical institutions or from Dr. Ray Pete or from anybody that's kind of been in that sphere. And they all seem, still seem to think like we're not totally sure what's happening when menopause occurs. But we know that these are a series of things, right? Your, your, your ovaries aren't producing these hormones anymore. You're not ovulating. Um, so you're, you're not having egg drop, egg drop. And so you're not having a bleed. So you essentially are not having a period. And so there is a shift in hormonal levels, of course. Um, but exactly why it's all happening. Mm, don't kind of know how it all is happening with. So is it pituitary? Is it because of the luteinizing hormone and the follicular stimulating hormone? Are they playing a role? Probably. Um, but not totally quite sure. And so <clears throat> that's certainly my understanding, but of course, you know, a lot of it can be, um, uh, stress in somebody's life certainly can affect it much quicker. And that's what we definitely see. And that's what I'm also seeing it. Some women are going through menopause much earlier. So in their forties, beginning of their forties, they're already going through it, which, right. And as we also know, the earlier you go through menopause, the more likely are you're going to have additional diseases and illnesses as you are later in life, because that's a longer period of time that you're not get, getting the protective hormone of progesterone. Um, the medical literature will probably say it's because you're not getting estrogen. <laughs> that's why you're um, more prone to a lot of these additional illnesses. But I, I just don't agree with that theory um, because it really is progesterone that you're missing. Your body is still capable of producing estrogen well, well, well postmenopausal and just in other ways. Yeah. Can we, uh, let's talk about that a little bit about that misconception surrounding, you know, estrogen and progesterone. Can you just talk about what's, what happens, like what happens to our hormones as we transition into perimenopause and then into menopause? So as you start transitioning, your periods are going to come more irregular. So essentially you're not going to be ovulating as much. You might miss an ovulation or maybe even the follicular phase starts becoming much shorter. So for some women, they still might ovulate, but what happens is they're in that luteal phase much longer because the follicular stage is so much shorter. And if they're not getting enough progesterone, they're gonna have a lot of those PMS symptoms because where you're gonna have symptoms for PMS, it's usually because of the balance between progesterone and estrogen. Um, I don't know if I like to use the balance because they're not balanced. Um, progesterone should be much higher but if for some reason your body isn't producing it, either A, you might not be ovulating or you're just not producing enough progesterone or you're having excessive uh, production of estrogen in that latter part of your phase, then you're gonna have symptoms. And so, and, and then that luteal phase that normally doesn't change in women, it's always gonna be about 12 to 14 days. It's usually that follicular phase, which will shorten the time up to ovulation. And so you'll start to see, you know, heavier bleeding, um, more clotting, you know, so forth and so on. Um, and so as woman goes into menopause and menopause is basically you're considered postmenopausal or in menopause, uh, after 12 months of not having a cycle. So after you have not had a period for 12 months, you are basically considered menopausal. And at that point in time, you know, and, and up to that point in time, you could, you could have symptoms. You can have symptoms for 10 years prior to actually going through menopause. And those can be alleviated basically based on how healthy you are. It, this isn't a normal process for it to be miserable. Um, it should, can be a very gentle tr transition if the body is healthy. There still can be some symptoms. I mean, we're not gonna say everyone's gonna be symptom-free, but, uh, but certainly having management of stress and a good diet to be supportive to you, then that is certainly gonna help you feel a lot better going through that transition. Yeah, so is, you know, through perimenopause is, is estrogen going on a roller coaster ride and progesterone slowly decreasing, or is is that a misconception around estrogens not going up and down on a roller coaster ride? Well, you you mean you have your cycle, right? So for most, you know, it can change, right? So we could say it's twenty eight to thirty five days as your normal cycle, and it starts essentially with your follicular fit phase, and it starts with the first day of your period. And then you have ovulation and which, and then goes into the luteal phase. And then of course you have your period again. So your hormones are going to cycle based on that, right? Estrogen is going to be slightly elevated in that follicular phase. It's going to elevate right before your, um, your, you drop an egg and it's going to kind of initiate that. And then progesterone will rise. So progesterone is going to rise based on you dropping an egg. The corpus luteum is going to be producing that progesterone. 
So if you are not dropping an egg, if you are not ovulating, you are not producing progesterone. And so you are missing that very vital hormone. So for women that are on the pill and they're missing a period, or if you, you know, you've had a hysterectomy or you're going through menopause or you're stressed to the woods and you're not like I did when I was in college and didn't ovulate because I didn't have a period. Um, you're not producing the project protective hormone estrogen. Uh, I'm sorry, progesterone. Um, you are actually producing less estradiol or estrogen from your ovaries as well, but you are also not producing that protective hormone of progesterone. And so that is the one that is very protective, right? It's progestation. It helps protect the body. It helps protect the endometrial lining to help uh, a, a, a get fertilized. That is the protect, protective hormone, period. Um, <clears throat> estrogen is more of that growth hormone. It helps increase and, and it builds the endometrial lining. It's also the hormone that it builds the hips and the breasts. And so it kind of builds tissue. It's, it is of course like the feminizing hormone because of what it's doing. So, and again, it's also utilized with men too, um, with arousal and production of sperm. So there are purposes of estrogen. You definitely need estrogen, but when there is the balance of it is when we start to have problems. We don't have that protective hormone to support us. And, and that's, again, we all know that estrogen is responsible for a lot of different cancers. Um, we definitely know that it's involved in all those things. It is like, again, does it mean we should avoid or we shouldn't have any estrogen? It just means that we have to understand the mechanism of when it is also being increased. And we do see that when uh, you are under stress, as Hans Sele showed us. Um, in under stress, we have uh, estrogen elevate. And so it makes sense why people that are really stressed out have excessive amounts of estrogen. And maybe it doesn't even show in your blood lab, but it will be present in your tissue. And we can see that in women. We can see if we actually look into their, their tissue that they actually have much higher levels of estrogen in their tissue than in their blood. And it's in the tissue that it's active. It's in the tissue where it's going to create the problems. It's in the tissue where it's going to create tumors and all of these things of growth, right? Usually when it's in the blood, it's just going through uh, a level detoxification. If you are detoxifying, <laughs> if you're not, then it's just going to recirculate and go back into the tissue. <laughs> yeah. So what, you know, if we're no longer making progesterone, what do we, what do we do? What do we do to support ourselves? Like so, so many women often ask me about progesterone, about, you know, how they can support um, themselves better through perimenopause. They ask about progesterone supplementation. They ask about hormone replacement therapy. So I'd love to dig into this progesterone piece and, you know, what do we do? So I'm just going to clarify, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not telling anybody to go take a hormone. Um, <laughs> obviously this is for information only, but I certainly work with a lot of people or women that are on that same cycle. Um, if you are, so first off and foremost, right, obviously if you are still in a, in a part of your life where you're having a cycle, you want to support yourself having a cycle. You want to actually ovulate. You want to make sure that's occurring. The way you know it's occurring um, is you will have an increase in temperature post ovulation. So taking your morning body temperature and seeing that if you are actually increasing is very important. If your temperature is not increasing at all in the morning, you are not ovulating and you can bleed and not ovulate. So if you're bleeding and not ovulating, then we know we're getting an estrogen production because you're building that endometrial lining but we're not producing the eggs. So we're not getting that progesterone protection. And usually those women usually have some really gnarly PMS issues. Um, that's what we're gonna see. So the question is, just so you know too, your body will still produce some progesterone post-menopause, usually in the adrenal glands. Um, it still can produce a little bit in the ovaries. Your ovaries are still producing some hormones post-menopause. And so we wanna keep those as well. Um, so the best things to do is basically make sure that we have paying attention to our stress because all hormones are in the, in the hormone, steroidal hormone process are essentially building from cholesterol and then they produce pregnenolone and then it's progesterone. And then from all progesterone, all the other hormones are being testosterone, cortisol, aldosterone, um, DHEA, uh, estrogen are all being produced. So in a, in a system that's 
well-maintained, you're going to have more progesterone production and it's going to be available to do all the cool things that progesterone can do, right? It's very anti-stress, can help regulate blood sugar. Um, it helps modulate stress. So there's so much good, it's very protective hormone. Um, under stress, then what will end up happening is progesterone production will, or the, all the other hormones are going to increase that are, are more of our stress hormones. So under stress, you're going to have excess increases in cortisol, you're going to have increases in aldosterone, you're going to have increases in estrogen, all those are going to go up, and you're going to have less progesterone production. So that's obviously a big component. So eating enough good foods, um, balancing your blood sugar is huge. I mean, I don't know how many times we have to talk about balancing your blood sugar. But everyone's like, Oh, that balancing your blood sugar, right? So whatever. I go, look, that is literally the epitome of how you can regulate yourself. When your blood sugar is regulated, then you are not activating all those stress hormones. Stress hormones get activated when the blood sugar starts dropping and you don't have the resources, period, right? It's not, if, if you are regulated, we don't have to go into those stress pathways. So eating balanced meals throughout the day that work for you is massive. It's literally the foundation of healing. It's so very simple and important. And everybody wants to do 87 other things, but that, right. <laughs> and you know, I am right. <laughs> um, you are right, Kate. Yes. Right? Yes. It, it sounds is. so simple, too simple. And this is it's like too the, simple. Yeah. The most ironic, uh, it's so funny part. It's so simple. Yeah. We're not saying that it's easy, obviously. That's right. <laughs> it's not. And, and that's true because it is different, right? I mean, different things and different macronutrient combinations will work for different people. But that is where you should spend. 90% of your time is figuring that out for yourself. So like literally food logging is such an important feedback piece of resource for somebody. And it's, you know, you can go on chronometer and pay like $6 a month. It's so cheap and it does take some effort, but <clears throat> it is like such a good resource. You know, I would say do that over paying anybody to help you and just kind of learn that because that will help you so much. Now, if you don't understand, if you're like, I, you know, a lot of people don't, and I get that. Um, and I'm a big, big person on like hiring people just because I, I liked, I think it gets me to my path quicker. Um, so I'm all about, okay, help me. And I'll learn quicker if I have someone else kind of follow me. So, <clears throat> but the, it, doing a food app will certainly help you with balancing your blood sugar. Again, it's so very important. Stress hormones elevate when blood sugar drops, period. They just don't elevate for the hell of it, right? It's not just like they're elevating all over the place. <laughs> they just don't. <laughs> If you are regulated, they're good, right? And so, but we have to always be paying attention. And so every day is not going to be the same. Your stress is not the same every day. Your activity is not the same every day. So it's not just like, give me a diet that I can eat every single day. And that's going to be the thing. Well, your days aren't exactly the same, are they? If they are, well, okay, then that may be work. But nobody's day is exactly the same. You're going to have stress and you're going to have going out. And so we have to learn how to, look at our day and go, where do I need to support myself so that I can get through my day and not be in a crap load of stress all day long. Right. And the problem is usually when we're seeing people, they're already in a crap load of stress all the time. Right. It's not like we're good. Just kind of help us. It's like, we've already gone off the ridge and now we need to climb back up. And that's a, that's a different scenario and it takes a different level of work to get there. Um, so if you're already like feeling like garbage, then we kind of have to recalibrate. We have to take some of the load off you while you're trying to heal, right? So whether that looks like, what do you need to change in your life? Where do we need to create space for healing? Where can we take some things off? It doesn't mean you have to do that indefinitely because everyone's like, oh my God, I can't live. I'm not going to do anything. I'm like, this isn't forever. This is only until you get better. And as soon as you get better, you can add more, Right. Because yeah, a certain amount of stress is good for you. It's, it's, it makes you grow. But if you cannot handle it, it is not. Again, let's go back to the dose makes the poison. The dose makes the poison on everything. And stress is a huge component of that. And so we have to constantly build on where you are at in your healing process. And so, so stress management, balancing your blood sugar are huge for progesterone production. It's doing everything that's basically helping reduce stress or manage stress and then support it nutritionally, right? So also getting enough 
foods are going to have <clears throat> support liver function because we want to have that conversion. If you are low thyroid or you're not converting thyroid hormone, then you are not producing uh, hormones, right? Because thyroid hormone is needed to help convert cholesterol into your steroid hormones along with vitamin A. Um, so vitamin A is always very, as we saw with D, you need it. Um, and you do need it for also uh, cholesterol uh, to steroid hormone conversion. So beef liver again and egg yolks and whole milk <clears throat> are all important for that conversion. And then just making sure your liver isn't overburdened. When the liver is overburdened, then we might have trouble with these conversions. So, you know, getting things like xenoestrogens out of your, your life, um, that's like plastics and things with parabens in them. Um, <clears throat> looking at uh, um, total stress, um, if you are in other hormone replacement therapies, you, again, not telling anybody to off of those things, you should always have a foundation before uh, doing that. You should definitely talk to your practitioner, but they can be an additional load to your system. So I think looking at all of those will help your own progesterone production. And of course, some people can supplement, um, not against that either. I think it's a very safe supplement. So even if you do it and you don't even know what you're doing, you probably aren't going to really do any harm to yourself. But for most individuals, you do just start at a quite a, a, a low dose, like 10 milligrams a day and see how that works for you. For most women that are still cycling, you would just do it at ovulation or 14 days until the end of your cycle. If you're not uh, ovulating, you're in menopause, you can, you can literally do it every day. I still would say take a break four to five days every month. Your body can get acclimated to progesterone. So what normally happens to some women is they keep having to take more and more and more. And then if they do too much, then the liver just starts breaking it down quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker till it does, it's like not even doing anything for them. So those, those women start seeing an adverse reaction from taking it for long periods of time. And they, what normally needs to happen is they have to get off of it for a couple of weeks um, and, to, and then they can get back on if they want. <clears throat> but sometimes they, they don't need it. You know, I mean, I know Dr. Ray Pete always says if it's doing what it needs, so you shouldn't have to take it indefinitely. You should be able to take a few good doses just and that can help you. Yeah. And again, to have someone lead you through that, I think so much more powerful than really just trying to figure it out yourself. So whether that is your practitioner, you know, you have a really good doctor or someone that's in the space, you know, like yourself, Kate, and that like, you know, works with people and really can figure out all the puzzle pieces because it's another one that I hear so much. It's like, it's like a blanket thing. Okay. Like I'm not have I'm not making it. So I should just take it. Uh, and it's no, well, no, there's like so many pieces to it. There's so many layers, uh, all the foundation stuff that we've just spoken about. Sometimes it's like, how are you actually living? Like, how, let's like, look at the life. Um, and once we work on all the foundation pieces, sometimes we actually, we don't need it. Like you said, yeah. or we take it for, you know, a cycle or for a little while. And then you know, and then we, we stop taking it. So again, like for those listening, it's just information for you to just even think about that, you know, to understand your body, your physiology, what's happening, that there are ways that you can support your hormones as you go through this phase, look at your foundation. And then just to know that, yeah, supplementing progesterone is an option. So find someone that can lead you uh, powerfully in that. Yeah, I think those are all good points. And, and, and just from working with just hundreds of hundreds of women, it's, you have to build that foundation first. And if you know, we, building anything on a cracked foundation doesn't normally work, it's going to fall down eventually. So you want to do all those foundational steps first. And like, you know, and like you said, life, looking at their life is a big component. I think so many people are used to running at hundred miles. I was, I, I mean, I ran at hundred miles an hour for decades and just like, I'm amazing. And then you, all of a sudden you're like hit a wall and you're like, wait, what's happening? You know? And you're not like aware and you're thinking what well, I'm eating right. And I'm exercising all the time. And why am I feeling so shitty right now? And you know, you realize you've just run yourself ragged and you've fallen off the edge and now you've got to rebuild and it looks very different than maybe what you've been doing. So it is a little bit of a paradigm shift and you have to rethink things. And it's, it sometimes can be challenging because it's not what you're used to doing. So of course we all second guess it because it doesn't feel comfortable sometimes to heal. Um, we, we don't like to give ourselves breaks and time and care, you know, especially if you're a type A strong woman, 
um, you know, someone that's like, nope, I can do this. I can do this. That's how you're driven. You know, that's one of your positive characteristics. And all of a sudden you, you're not doing that anymore. You can't, it can be challenging. I totally get that. Um, but it's a, a new way of learning and yay. <laughs> <laughs> yay. I often yay. say if it creates friction, it means you're on the right path. <laughs> that's right. That's, a, that's yeah. good. <laughs> it's meant to feel like it's meant to feel uncomfortable. It's meant to create some friction. Uh, mm-hmm. If it's not, you know, you're doing just what you were doing before and that that's not, it hasn't worked. Yeah, it worked before. And this is, I think, where so many women get stuck. They did something and it did work and it worked for a while. And then they realized actually my amazing body and physiology is actually really complex and it's it's not working for me. And then they get really stuck in this place of, okay, but I did that and it did work. And so um, moving into something that's new or different should feel really uncomfortable and create a lot of friction, but it means that you're, yeah, on that, the right path. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's, I think that's a, a good thing to think about. Right. But also taking, right. You shouldn't be doing something that makes you feel terribly worse or <laughs> if it does, then we can kind of sit down and analyze, well, what does that even mean to somebody? Right. Because sometimes if you've been running on adrenaline and all of a sudden we tell you that, all right, we need to calm it down and start eating more sugars to support you and that lowers your adrenaline levels you might not feel as well because you're like i feel so tired now i'm like yeah i bet you are tired you're you're are tired right i mean so we need to take that time to rest and recover you haven't rested and recovered for three decades so and and people have a hard time that's the hardest thing i find anyone has to do is rest and i get it because i feel like i have that hard thing so i probably attract all those people <laughs> that don't want to, because I'm like, I don't want to do that either. <laughs> yeah. You have quite the, quite the history, don't you, around like, you know, the pushing and the going and the doing and the diets and the, yeah. 100%. I get, I, and I get it. So I, I get them all like throwing back in my face, like, here's another person doesn't want to rest. I'm like, ah, like, I get you girl, but we got to do this. It's hard. It is challenging, but, uh, it is a very important part of the healing process. And it's interesting that I've, I've read so many protocols or so many kind of really extreme protocols out there, like the Gershon theory and the milk cure and all these kind of extreme kind of approaches. But the one thing they all have in common is rest, right? Even water fast. What are these people doing? Resting. They're like doing nothing, right? And so it's such a huge component. Like what if we all just took a month? I mean, you know, that's what kind of what COVID was. Uh, everyone took a month, a couple months off, you know, problem was everyone was so stressed out that they were all going to die <laughs> or they're, they're going to lose their house or their job. <laughs> so they didn't really get probably what they needed because their head was making them crazy. But on some level, I was like, I mean, I kind of loved it. I was like, Oh my God, so relaxing, so quiet. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> like, you know, but point is, yeah, rest is a huge component of, of the healing process. And again, I'm not saying everybody needs to be bedridden for a month, but we have to find what your body will let us do. I'm a big believer on doing the least amount to get the result we want. We don't have to do all of these things. We do the least. So we do a few things. Did that get us our result? Nope. Okay. Then we need to do some more. Did that get us? Nope. We need to do some more. So it's going through the process until we finally find are you happy with where you're at? Yeah, I'm totally happy. I'm good. I'm 90%. I still got some stress going on, but I'm good here. Cool. Then we'll stay there. And that's what we'll continue with. Yeah. It's the layering. It's like the long road, the long way. Um, because what we're, you know, at A and we, we just want to get to Z and then we just want to jump to Z and do all of these things to get there. But we might not need to do all of the things. We might not need all of the letters. We might be able to get there like you said, Kate, just slowly layering in things. And if we don't allow our, just to, just the awareness piece around the body of like listening to the body and how is the body responding? Is the body settled into this? Is it working for me? Um, Yeah. And that's really, I also love the piece that you just brought up around how sometimes we can feel worse before we feel better. Yeah. And that does happen. Right. Especially, like I said, if we've attached to this feeling of like, I feel energized all the time. Right. I have all this energy 
And again, when you, when you look at those people, I, they, they also are the ones that are kind of anxious and they don't sleep well. Maybe they've lost their periods and they're constipated, but I have a lot of energy right? and they talk really fast. You know, I get them on the, blah, 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 and I'm like, okay, take a breath. Right. I mean, you can tell just like from their personality kind of, and, and their speech tone, how quick they are with it where they're kind of at. And so, and that, that's a very addicting place to be, to be in that space because you do get a lot done and it does feel good and all those things, but it also isn't where you want to stay indefinitely. Um, you can go back and forth. So, you know, and if you've gone, done that for a long period of time and now you feel really crappy, now we have to like, we got to take that away from you for a little bit. Right doesn't mean you can't still have your things later on, right? We can still add that I did the same thing and I took it off. I took exercise off my plate for quite a while, but, and I still involved myself in some extreme things. I just did less and I did recovery and I managed, you know, what I was doing, but I still did them. I just had the understanding. I know this is going to do this to me. I'm now I'm not doing it for the health reasons anymore. <laughs> I'm doing it because I want to, um, and I like it and, and I'm just going to take care of myself and support myself the best I can through this process, right. With that understanding. And I think when we go in things with that understanding, it's much better approach than just always trying to be, I'm going, I'm doing this thing. because I'm going to lose weight and this is what I'm going to do. And it's supposed to be healthy for me, regardless of how I feel, I'm just going to do it. Um, <laughs> without kind of paying attention to, wait, I lost my period. I'm sleeping like crap. I'm not pooping anymore, but this is healthy for me. Mm, you know, that's why I do like this approach because it does pay attention to a lot of different things that are going on in our physiology to kind of make us aware of, is this working or not? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I love so much about it is that, because this whole concept of health you know, in this space, like what is health? And one of the most helpful things I think working with women uh, that I found is if we look at the physiology and the functioning of the body and get them and get them to really understand their physiology and how their body functions and how they can support that. And like, that's a healthy body, you know, when it's functioning and performing and we look at all these markers, um, that's been a, a lifesaver for a lot of women to really truly understand health, you know, um, from a physiological perspective, it's very yeah. powerful. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why your period is so powerful because it is the fifth vital sign. And yeah. so when we kind of pay attention to that and say, you know what, my period isn't supposed to be super painful and horrible. Uh, when I grew up, you know, when I was young, I actually didn't have painful periods at all. I was just didn't, I didn't even pay attention to it. I didn't know when it was coming. <laughs> it was like, whatever was happening. Um, but I had tons of friends that had horrible periods and, you know, they all thought it was just normal. It's your, that's what's supposed to happen. And, and it's not supposed to happen. It's not normal. There's something else underlying going on there. And so, and those, of course, same women, you know, had some endometriosis. They also had hard times carrying babies. Um, and now I see it in them. that They're also having some other additional health issues. So we can see early on these things, if we can take care of them at a very young age, then we can probably save you from a lot of pain and problems later on in your life. Because a poor period certainly is just not a poor period. There's something systematically going on with you. It's not just your ovary suck or whatever you want to think. There's something systematically going on that's creating those imbalances. And if we address them and fix them, and then we will save you so many different things going on later on in your life. So, yeah. but you know, if you're getting into menopause now, maybe you haven't taken care of any of those things. And now there's a massive disruption because you're going into menopause in an imbalance. Certainly you can still do lots of things to help that and get yourself through it. There's, it's never too late to start working on healing and supporting yourself. You can do it at any level. Um, you know, it might just take a little bit more layers or maybe a little bit more time. But hey, you know, if you start now, you're going to be way better in a year or two. If you don't, it's just going to get worse. Yeah. Yeah. So powerful and true. So Kate, what are you doing right now? Are you going to write another book? What are you doing with your work? Tell us a little bit about what you're up to. Well, I've been working on doing a cookbook, a recipe book, but, I'll, you know, there's a lot of those. So I'm just trying to debate now if I'm going to publish it in a paperback form, because uh, I think just knowing from writing a book, most people like paperback over a digital copy. You know, I'm trying to kind of figure that kind of what I'm going to do with that. It's still, it's like 60% done <laughs> for some, some reason. I'm like, I got to get back on that. So that's been my project for right now. Um, 
and th certainly I, I keep thinking about writing another book. I, I think I have a little PTSD because it took so long and it consumed so much of my life <laughs> for so long. And, and, you know, so I, I certainly go back into the force of maybe even developing a course. I go back and forth with that too. Um, there's some part of me that just, I think that's a good idea, but there's also a part where I think that I, I do love working with people individually. Um, love it. There's a love hate with all of it, but I, you know, every person to me is just another puzzle piece and I get to learn from them too. I mean, I'm not sitting here and telling you, I know everything. I certainly don't. Um, but it always fascinates me when we try different things with certain people and what works was, and it just kind of goes into my anecdotal research lab of, oh, that was interesting. And that's how that worked and so forth. So, you know, to me, I just, I like to collect data and really try to understand it. So I, I do spend a lot of time just reading and researching. And then the part about then putting it out in, in a broader sense so that it makes it easier for the people to understand it is sometimes that big project. <laughs> So I stay with, you know, little bits with my social media and throw that out there. So that's kind of where all that's at. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for, um, thank you for coming on today. Thanks yeah, for the fun. chat. Yeah. Good chat. That, that was, was good such a great chat. Um, and thank you for the work that you do for showing up in this space and leading people with all of this stuff. It's so important. It's really important work. Yeah, um, it's a well, pleasure and, to watch yeah, you. Yeah, and you too, for sure. Getting those Canadians and Australians in, in check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to let you go. Warrior Woman, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't, please give the podcast some love by subscribing now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another Warrior Woman. Also, if you want to go crazy, I'd love if you wrote a review for the Warrior School podcast. And also share and tag me with your biggest takeaways for the episode on the gram. Okay, Warrior Woman, have a great week in training. Bye for now.